Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast with our senior pastor, Ben Martinez. Don't forget to check out our website at calvarychapellubbock.church. There you'll find a lot more about our mission to love God, love people, and live radically. Now here's Pastor Ben. Well, Solomon examined life under the sun. You guys know what that means. Whenever he says under the sun, he's talking about life here in the world. Okay, everyday life. Now, like we're not world travelers, and so when we talk about life, it's, it's our everyday life in the places that we live here in Lubbock and so forth. Now, his conclusion, if you recall, is, well, again, think about this. He's examining life, he's writing it down, and his viewpoint was a little detached, if you will. You go, oh, okay, what do you mean? Well, his conclusion with life was meaningless. It's meaningless. And, and this is not the guy that you want to invite to your parties. This is not the guy that you want to have over for dinner because it would be such a downer. He'd be like, well, you know, I see that you have and whatever it might be. And he goes, well, it's just meaningless, like chasing the wind. You're like, Solomon, dude, chill. How, how do we get you to smile? And that's really the image of what he said, isn't it? Because he, he, he says, listen, here's my conclusion, to be honest with you. Life, life is meaningless. Vanity of vanities is what he wrote. And of course, we know what vanity means. It, it means meaningless. And, and so he says, life is meaningless. But, but then he does something, and, and when he examined the question again, he went to where people really lived. He discovered that life wasn't that simple. And Solomon does something for us that I think you and I are good at. You go, what does he do? He observed real people in real life situations. And he had to deal with some painful facts. He had to deal with painful facts such as life. Just life. Think about your life for just a moment. And the things that you've had to endure. Some of the stresses, some of the sufferings. Some of the times when bills didn't get paid. And some of the times when you went to the mailbox and you were didn't know what... And, and, and so he would talk about... But he also talked about things that you and I are used to in this life, real-world life. He talks about death. He, he observed death. He observed death. And I don't think there's a day that goes by, especially on social media, that there isn't somebody who, who were, is being called to our attention that died, whether a celebrity or not. It's like, oh, oh, oh. Oh, he's dealing with some painful facts like time and eternity. How much time do we have left on earth? What are we going to do with that time? And then he's going to deal with, if you will, the final judgment. The final judgment. Solomon, we could say that he has some very big problems with God. He's got some big problems with God and he's going to let it be known. And then he's going to talk about these problems he has with God as if they're the same problems that all of us have with God. He's going to sort of lump us all in one. And, and, and I, think, I think that he might be onto something here. You go, what do you mean? Well, I want you for just a moment, not in a complaining way, but I want you for just a moment to think about your life and some of the times when we, well, we have the same problems with God. And our biggest question to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords was why? Why did this happen? Whatever it might be in your life. Guys, if we can talk real world, this is exactly why, Lord? 
Why? Solomon, church, listen to me. He's not going to give us an answer to those problems. But how that we survive some of those problems. So Solomon is, is recorded his observation. And what he's going to do is he's going to sort of visit four places. Four places, if you will. He's going to visit four places, and he's going to watch several people and go through a variety of experience. I don't know about you, but one of the funnest things that I like to do is I like to go to the mall right before Christmas time. I like to park myself on a bench, and I like to watch people. And Nathan and I will get a coffee, and we'll sit, and we'll just say, oh, I wonder what their life is like. I wonder what they're... And you can see them hustling and bustling, and you'll see a bunch of kids come through the mall, and then you'll see an older group, and they're holding hands, and then you'll see some really older ones, and they'll be shuffling through the mall, and we just sort of, we just sort of watch people. I know you do, too. Don't look at me like, you do that? We do that. We like to watch people. So that's what Solomon is sort of doing. He's sort of watching, but he's doing that in, in, in that experimental kind of way, and he's going to see, man, I'm going to see how people live in a variety of places. Now, for you, it may not be the mall, but you would like to go to the grocery store, and when you go to the grocery store, you'd like to observe a lot of people. You like to observe people in the grocery store. Oh, I wonder. Some of you like to go and notice what other people are buying in their carts. Oh, oh, whoa. Some of you like to go and put other put your stuff in other people's carts and see if they notice. I've never done that. But we like to watch people. We're intrigued, and Solomon does that. Now, his conclusion was something interesting. His conclusion was life it was that life is anything but humdrum. For we have no idea what problems may come to us on any given day. That's what he's going to observe. Okay, so let's go. If you haven't been with us through our verse-by-verse study of Ecclesiastes, I want to bring you up to speed. Um, Kind of just a, a summary. If we were to modernize what we've been studying, we could put songs, if you will, to what Solomon has been teaching us. We could put songs, okay? Now, me growing up in the 80s, that's usually the songs I'm going to attach. So like chapter 1... You could define chapter 1 as, I can't get no satisfaction. That's what Solomon would be singing. I can't get no satisfaction. I, what, what, is, what is being satisfied? You go, why? Well, we discovered in chapter 1 that we're not satisfied in this life without developing a sixth sense. A sixth sense. You go, what do you mean? What do you mean a sixth sense? Well, What he does is he teaches us, guys, that Solomon declares that we have five senses in which we explore on on how man, basically how man desires. We have taste, we have smell, we have feel. This, This is sort of how we compass that. His conclusion is we can't get no satisfaction just being here on earth. And so he wants us to develop a sixth sense, a sixth sense. He wants us to look over the sun. You go, what is that? Well, and here's what you need to jot down if you're taking note. Solomon encourages us, and I encourage us too. Church, we have to develop a deep, deep faith in God. A deep faith in God. You have to know your Redeemer lives. You have to know, like Job says, I I think about Job when he's like, listen, No matter what's happening to me, I still believe in God. 
He still believed that he was going to see God. He's sitting there with boils, guys, boils all over his body. He's like, any minute, it's like, I could just die, Lord. I could just die, Lord. But he's like, man, but, but he never cursed God. He never. And so what's he saying? He's saying, listen, you have the unique privilege here in Lubbock, Texas, in the year 2023 to develop, work on, grow your deep faith with God. Now, I want to challenge you with that. What do you mean? Well, the Bible says that faith cometh by hearing and hearing the Word of God. The only way you're going to grow in a deep faith with God is to be in God's Word. You need to understand there's all these things that are vying for your attention. Social media will sit there and grab at you and grab and you go, some of you go like, man, I don't even care about social media. But there's other things you do care about. Be careful. I've got a question. I've got a challenge. Could you imagine you and I, if we took the Bible literally like we bring our phones everywhere we go? Can you imagine? You walk out there, oh, 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 got to turn around. Why? I forgot my Bible. I forgot my Bible. That's what we do with our phone, don't we? And, and, and so they've made it so convenient that if you forget your phone, well, your watch will do everything your phone does. So, but, but, but think about it. What, what if we did that? What if we just said, oh, oh I got to have it. And then throughout the day, you're checking it. Oh, I'm reading. Oh, it's wonderful. And throughout the day, you're getting updates in the Word of God. Wonder what we would look like if we go, okay. You see, that's what us developing a deep faith, because I'll tell you why. In social media and all the other things that our devices try to do, listen to me, they try are going to pull us away from where we need to be. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. If you agree, yeah. Yeah. So we have to develop, guys, a deep faith in God. That was chapter one. In chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, oh, if we were going to add a song to it, it might be something like living the vida loca, the crazy life. Because Solomon does just this crazy experiment for us that we had to pay attention to. He was doing this experiment because it was way, and it goes way beyond our own capabilities. And so he's just trying to say, hey, listen, he just... He did things that you and I would go, wow, wow. Like some of us have been to some of the best parties you've ever been to. You were grooving, you were having a good time. It was just a great party. And Solomon's like, Psh, please, that wasn't a party. We partied for six months, day in and day out. We didn't, we didn't have a jukebox. We, we had the band. The band came out and played, and everybody just ate and drank, and we had a party. And here's what I found. It didn't satisfy. It didn't satisfy. And yet, church, listen, there are beautiful people out in our city that look forward to doing that every weekend, hoping to find that little satisfaction of, okay, we had a great weekend. Wow, it was good. And, 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 and yet we continue to... And Solomon's like, no, 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 listen, I did that. And you go, well, see, I'm not into the party thing. But, you know, if you've ever been to Joe Mabry's house, he's got a garden. He's got, he works hard on his garden. Well, he used to. Now, you know, it's, 
We used to have a great garden, beautiful backyard. We could play, we could play nine holes back there. But here's the point. Solomon would go, Psh, that's not a garden, Joe. I'm going to build forests. I'm going to build all of these. I'm going to have cisterns to water. It's going to be amazing. But you know what? That still didn't satisfy. Still didn't satisfy. So we looked all of that. He just lived this. I mean, but not only that. You know what he did that blows my mind? He said, I'm going to do everything that I can to be comfortable. I'm not even going to get myself out of bed. I'm going to have them roll me out of bed. They're going to shower me because I'm going to try to live as comfortable. I'm going to have the biggest, most comfortable life you can imagine. I don't think the Bible says that, but I could imagine somebody else chew his food to make sure it was good. And that's how comfortable he is. Like, you know, he says, that doesn't satisfy. That doesn't satisfy. So he does an incredible experiment. And then in chapter 2, if we were to look at 12 through 36, we could, we could have something right out of the 80s called, well, the band called, the song was called Without You, Without You. And it's a love song that this band was singing for his girlfriend. But really, when you think about it, here's what Solomon is saying. Solomon is saying that without the living God in our lives, well, life isn't worth living. Solomon says, I was disgusted with life and totally stressed out, but then later on declares to us, but with God, He's the reason we want to live. He's the reason. Our lives are so different when we serve the living God. Without Him, wouldn't it be dark days and rainy days and Stress and no hope? I mean, can you imagine? We would have no... How you doing? Well, I'm really bummed. There's not worth... It, it wouldn't, life wouldn't be worth living. But listen to me, church. When you wake up in the morning, regardless of what time is, and you look outside and you see a sunrise, and you smell the fresh air, and... And you see how wonderful it is. That's God. That's God. You see, I can get up in my house and, and I can sit in my backyard and have a cup of coffee and enjoy that cup of coffee and I know that there's God and I can see Him and I can feel His presence. You guys can too. You know it's God. But that same God, I can go to the mountains and I can find the fishing streams and the stream and the water running down the river and oh, it's God. And so again, we have, to, we have to see, Lord, you're the reason that we want to live. And then we looked at chapter 3 very quickly in the 70s. Rock band called The Birds made this chapter famous. But I'm not sure they really understood what they were singing about. You go, how so? Well, remember we talked about this, and this is so important that it was not just a list of things that happen to us, but rather a list of things that God sends. That's a game changer, because when you realize that death is something that God sends, and sorrow, and a time to hug, and a time to refrain, and all of these things that he talks about in chapter 3, it's a game changer when you realize that God is trying to do something in our lives and in our hearts. Now listen. God is responsible for both joy and sorrow 
And that sorrow for God's children is not wrath, but mercy. But mercy. I've talked to two people. One of them was my wife. The other one was another young girl. And they told me both that they've never felt closer to God than when they were in the midst of going through something terrible. Something in their health, cancer. And they felt the breath of God because eternity was at the doorstep. Now, I never say, well, Lord, we should all... No, 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 that's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is there are things in our lives, guys, that would pull us closer to the Lord Jesus if we'll let it. If we'll let it. And instead of you going, well, I can't believe that, and being angry and complaining, we go, wow, Lord, thank you so much. I wouldn't have known you without going through whatever hardship it might be. Whatever hardship. We have to stay close to God. I was thinking about this today, and it probably has nothing to do with our sermon, but I was really thinking about this. See, today I went to the gas station and I filled up my truck, filled it up with gas. And I won't tell you how much it is, but it was, it, was, it was quite high. You guys know what I'm talking about, okay? Now, two years ago, when we filled up our car, we were like, I can't believe that. We, three years ago, we were like, man, this is good. And now what, what, what's happened to us, and I don't know if it's happened to you, but now we've sort of gotten used to it. I used to complain and be like, I can't believe we're paying this much money. That's just crazy. And now we're just like, okay. And I wonder if that's what the world tries to do to Christians to get us to sort of just, okay, that's how it is. That's how God is. Hmm. And that's not how God is. That's not how God is. Do you remember? And I love this because because in chapter 3, he heaps on things like ingredients, like like nobody likes to eat flour, remember that? But everybody likes to eat cake. And nobody likes to eat cake without flour. And so he's the one that mixes the ingredients together. And we talked all about cake, but Nancy did a great job. Nancy did a great job on the gluten-free cookies that, listen, I will even pay you if you make some more. I'm just saying, okay, Nancy, that was, that was so good. And I had, I had, well, they're gone. So I just want you to know they're gone. So why does God do this? Because here's what he does. He does this to make everything beautiful in its time. And he's put eternity in our hearts, into yours and to mine, and to create mystery in life. And that mystery produces faith. Faith. That's what we talked about so far. Now, in chapters 1 through 16, or or chapter 4, 1 through 16, this passage, honestly is similar to lamentations made by Job and Jeremiah. Okay? However, I want you to note, in Job and Jeremiah, they lamented over their own suffering. Do you remember that? Do you remember that? They're both... (sighs) But Ecclesiastes laments over the oppression and the injustice in general. 
So a little bit different. A little bit different. Grasp it, guys. Grasp it. So right now, here's what you need to understand. Let me paint the picture. What Solomon understands is the world is broken. And we could go, man, amen. I agree. The world is broken. And Solomon is going to visit a courtroom, if you will. And we will not like the outcome. And you go, wait, 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 what do you mean? Why won't we like the outcome? Because Solomon's going to speak the truth to us. We're all going to agree. And then he really leaves us without any answers. He leaves it. He kind of moves on to somewhere else. And we're like, Solomon, dude, seriously? Seriously? And so we have to really grasp that. Okay? He's going to speak the truth. And then he's going to leave us. Now, at the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, he kind of gives the final conclusion. Now, he's already told us that life without God is meaningless. Life without God is not worth living, but, but now he's going to go, oh, okay, so now I visited some real-world people. Let's see what happens. Let's see Solomon in the courthouse. Picking it up, chapter 4, verse 1, what does he write? He says, then I returned, and I considered all the oppression that's done under the sun. Now remember, under the sun is where? Here on earth. And look, he says, the tears of the oppressed, but they have no comforter. On the side of the oppressors, is there's power, but they have no comforter. Therefore, notice what he says, I praise the dead who are already dead. More than living who are still alive, yet better than both is he who never existed, who has not seen the evil that work is done under the sun. Whoa, whoa, Solomon, dude. <laughs> wow, he's deep. Why? Well, again, notice what he's saying. He says, man, I, I went to the courtroom and, I, and, I, and I, I took my place and I saw. And he said, I observed all the oppression that, I, that was under the sun. And he says, and I saw the tears of all those who were, who were hurting. And you know what I found? No one was there to comfort him. No one was there. Solomon, are, 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 are you okay, Solomon? No, I'm not okay. Well, Solomon, do you need a hug? No, I don't need a hug. He says, he says the oppressors in the courtroom had great power. And, and their victims, they're helpless. And so I took a step back, Solomon says. He says, you know what I concluded? That the dead are better off than the living. Wow. He says, but you want to know who is most fortunate of all? Those who had never even been born yet. He says, because they have not seen the, all the evil that's done under the sun. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Now, the title of my message is that we need to do life together. Because... What Solomon realizes is there's a lot of evil in the world and there's a lot of oppression. Even as the king, I couldn't fix it because I would create a new set of problems. And so I sat back and I just realized and it made my heart break because I thought, you know what, guess what? Guess what? <laughs> I praise the dead who are already dead. It's better off if they were dead. Solomon comes into a courtroom to watch a trial. 
And here's what he saw. He saw innocent people oppressed by power-hungry officials. And the victims wept, and they were crying, and the tears did no good. Nobody stood to comfort or assist them. The oppressors had all the power, and the victims were helpless to protest or to ask What did the king what did the king witness? Guys, check this out. He he witnessed three tragedies in these verses. You go, what were they? Well, again, he said the world is broken. I want I went in there and, and nobody I saw oppression and in the exploitation here here in the Hall of Justice. This is where we should come to have help. He said, You know what I noticed? I noticed pain and sorrow in the lives of innocent people. I notice pain and stuff. And again, what's he trying to do? Guys, he's trying to get our eyes off of us. It's amazing because I think Solomon and Paul in the book of Philippians, you guys know we just talked about this. We talked about having a submissive mindset. Having a submissive mindset where we have to push others. We're not supposed to be selfish. We're supposed to engage others and lift others out and encourage others. And Solomon's kind of doing this. He's going, look at these people. They had pain and sorrow. And then the third thing he witnessed was the unconcern on the part of those who could have brought comfort. Who could have brought comfort. Can you imagine? Can you imagine you witnessing and it's like, look, you could do something. You could do something. Offer some. Church, we see that in our world today. We see that in our world today. And the thing it should do, guys, is number one, We need to have a heart like Jesus had. We need to have a heart for people. And we can do something as we lift up and encourage others. We we, we have to do that. you're, You're lifting them up. Solomon was so devastated by what he saw, he decided that it was better to be dead than to be alive and oppressed. In fact, one was better that he had never been born at all. Listen, if you and I are going to do life together, and that's what God has called us to do. He's called us to be brothers and sisters. He's called us to be family. He's called us to do life. Okay? Life, God just blows my mind in His economy. We call this church, but really this is a building, but you all are the church, and the church says to do life together, and you have to walk with people. The problem with walking with people is it takes commitment. I've got to walk with my brother. He's hurting. Well, how long is he going to walk for? Because i got stuff to do. That's not what God's called us to do. He's called us to go, man, I'm here for you. What can I do? It really bothers me, church, and this is my own soapbox, but it really bothers me that the church is the first one to shoot our own wounded. Somebody comes in hurting and broken, and we're like, well, you should do it. Boom! And, and we do that instead of going, oh, let me help you. What, what can I do? How can I pray? And I share, do you need a few bucks? We, we, we have to have the heart of Jesus. And the heart of Jesus says, man, listen, I know because I've been there. I know what you're going through. May we never be a church where anybody walks in these doors and thinks, oh, these people have it all together because we don't, do we? 
<laughs> they don't even know. They don't even know us. And I've had people go, well, the church, man, at Calvary, it looks like they have it all together. And I'm going, are you serious? From the pastor down, we're a bunch of misfits. We don't have it together, but we're doing life together. And this is what he's saying. This is where we have encouragement. Knowing that others will face hardships and oppression by an evil world. Guys, we must make sure that we're all on the same side. We have to make sure. This is what he says. This is what he says. And, and, and here's what, I mean, all Solomon goes is, hey, man, the dead had it better. And we've said that too. There are people in our past that have died and we're going, man, I'm, so, I'm glad that they went on to be with Jesus because I, I want to know how they would handle the world today. We say that. And then we actually say what Solomon says, right? Oh, and we say it in a different way. Oh, if I was young people, I wouldn't have kids. Why would I want to bring kids into an evil world? We say that. And yet, they still have kids. Why? Because it's our job to pour into the kids the gospel of Jesus Christ so that they can be the next force in the next generation. But we say it. There's a lot of people that say it. And here's, here's what Solomon does. He doesn't give us any answers. He doesn't say... He just kind of moves on. He kind of moves on. And we're just kind of like, okay. So he's like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to leave the courthouse. I'm going to go visit the marketplace. So disgusted with what he saw in the hall of justice, the king went down to the marketplace to watch the various laborers at work. Surely he wouldn't be disappointed in real world. For why? An honest toil, an honest job is a gift from God. Even Adam had to do work in the garden. Look at Genesis 2.15. Our Lord was a carpenter when he was here on earth. So it has to be a gift from God. But let's see what he let's see what Solomon finds out. Look at verse 4. He says, "Again, I saw that for all the toil and every skilled work a man is envied by his neighbor. This is also vanity and grasping for the wind." Do you guys see what Solomon just saw? Solomon says, I observed, listen, this blows my mind, that people are motivated to success because they're envy of their neighbors. And this too is meaningless. Like, I mean, here's the thing. Their motivation for getting up and going to work is because of their neighbor and what their neighbor has. He's like, well... (laughs) So in the real world, many people are working hard only because they want what they can't have. I got really quiet in here, didn't it? That's really, I mean, I mean, think about this. And the Word of God says, and here's what it declares, that it's vanity. It's meaningless. Wow. Wow. I went out and I went and observed and I realized the only reason you get up so early and the only reason you work so hard and you stay so late is because you want to have what your neighbor has. You want the cars and you want the stuff. And Solomon goes, hey, hey, it's meaningless. It's meaningless. Listen, your pastor 
at one time in his life was sacrificing my family on the altar of work. I would work six days a week, 10 to 12 hours a day, and my wife had to sit me down, but you need to know the process before that. Unbeknownst to me, she, she saw this early on. Women are a lot smarter than men. But, but I, thought love was, I thought love was giving her everything she wanted. I didn't think she wanted me. I just thought, hey, love means that he provided everything, so I've worked really, really hard. And unbeknownst to me, for several years, she'd lay her hand on my back, and here's what she would say, Lord, give him a love for you, that he, give him a love for you like the love he has for business, the love he has, I'm sleeping, you know, whatever, getting ready, and look what God did. So it's her fault I'm a pastor. No, I'm just kidding. But I was sacrificing my family. She gets a hold of me and she says, hey, you know what? We don't want the stuff. We want you. And I was so taken back by that, guys. Uh, wait, wait, what? No. You want me. You don't want me. I'm the least of this. And so many men have that attitude. Listen, love means giving you stuff, and that's not what love is. You need to be there for your family. And that's what he says. It's mean. Listen, you're you're working you're working eighty hours a week for what? So your family can grow up, and you don't see them. Don't look at me that way. It's the word of God. This is what he's saying. And he goes. So so what are the results? I, I saw this, and he goes, man, it's like chasing the wind. Notice verse five. He says, the fool folds his hands and consumes his own. Flesh. Solomon moved from one extreme to the other and began to study a man who had no ambition at all. So you have one going, oh, I want what you have. And then he goes, oh, by the way, look at this guy. Look at this guy. Right? He says, the fool. This, the word fool there is the wicked oppressor who folds his hands together. You can see that in Proverbs 6 and Proverbs 24, it's idleness. Um, another word you can put right here next is laziness. It means living, he wrongfully rests from one, from others, not to be envied in his life for such a one. So he's just a fool. He's just a fool. And Solomon here answered the tendency of those jealous of the success of others to be lazy. So he went from one extreme to another. Oh, I'm going to get up. I want, I want the new truck. I want this. I want and he goes, but then I saw this dude, and this dude's like, eh, I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to fold my hands. I'm just, I'm just late. I'm just, hmm, hmm, hmm. Yet it wasn't the success of the neighbor that made him waste away. The foolishness, lazy man, the Bible says, consumes his own flesh. You go, what does that mean? Well, this expression is really equivalent to, ready? You can jot this down. He destroys himself. The lazy man destroys himself. It brings ruin upon him. That's what Solomon is saying. And then in verse 6, he says, Better is a handful with quietness than both hands full together with toil and grasping for the wind. Don't, don't you just love this? Better is to have a handful with quietness than two handfuls of hard work and chasing the wind. See, Solomon here reflects the value of, ready? Ready, church? Contentment. Contentment. That's something that we struggle with. Contentment. Being content. Are you content with what you have? 
Are you content with what God has blessed you with? Are you content? Contentment. You see, here's what the Word of God declares to us. It's better to have less and be content, that's what he says with quietness, than to have more and constantly be grasping for further success. For further success. Solomon weaved I mean, some fascinating themes together, don't you think? You go, well, like what? Well, he says, hard work and success are good, you ready? But not to be envied. So it's good to get up and work hard. Listen, men, God called us to work hard, but not to do it because we're jealous or we're envy of somebody else. Come on, you've got to get that right. Because Pastor Ben said, I didn't have to work. That's <laughs> so what God said. No, no, no. I'm saying you go to work, you work hard, but you don't do it because you, you want the bigger house or the more expensive this or the more expensive that. And, and that's always going to be a stress to you. It's always, he says, learn to be content. Learn to be content. He also says, laziness is wrong and destructive. Laziness. I'm not going to do anything. And yet, he says, even with one full hands, we must learn contentment. Contentment. This is foreign to us, church. Come on, this is foreign. Why? Because we're, we're used to, come on, I've got to climb the ladder. I've got to make something of myself. Come on, let's go, let's go, let's go. And, Paul, and, and Solomon's like, listen, listen, just relax. Everybody breathe. It's better to just learn contentment. So when you're blessed, you're like, yes. Amen. Amen. All right. And then, and then I'm going to use Joe Mabry because he's here. Not that he has one, but say Joe Mabry has, he gets a, a nice, a brand new 2024 truck and, 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 and Brother Joe can afford it. Now, I'm just using this as an illustration. Then we would be glad for Joe. We're not going, oh, well, Joe has one. How come I don't have one? And, I, and, and, and here's what I need to do. And, 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 and Natalie, you need to get two jobs and I get two jobs because I want the 2020. That's just envy. Instead of going content, man, Joe, amen. Take me for a ride in it, bro. Let's go get a coffee. And Joe would be the first one to tell you, brother, I got the 2024, but man, I got the payments too. And I say, amen. Brother Joe, can I borrow that truck? You can borrow that truck. And amen. I'll have to make a payment. No, you have to. That's Joe. He'll make you make a payment. But that's a whole other story. So then Solomon continues. He continues. Hard talk, right? He says, verse 7, Then I returned and I saw vanity under the sun. There's no one alone without a companion. There is one alone without a companion. He has neither son nor brother, and yet there is no end to his labors. Nor is I satisfied with riches. But he never asks, For whom do I toil and deprive myself of good? For this is also vanity and of grave misfortune. Guys, you know what he's saying? What good is your success if you can't pass it on? This is what he's saying. So Solomon's experience, if you will, with the independent man caused him to consider something very important, something that you and I need to grasp. It caused Solomon to consider the importance of friendship and the value of people doing things together. The value of friendship. He comes back. Notice what he says, guys. He goes, listen, I returned. And he said, there's, 
there is one alone without a companion. He doesn't have a son or a brother, and yet, look, he's working so hard, and he's not satisfied with all that he has, but he doesn't ask, God, why do I do this? And deprive myself of good. He says, man, this is meaningless. This is meaningless. I wonder if Solomon recalled the Jewish proverb, a friendless man is like a left hand um, befit of the right. Perhaps he watched some pilgrims on the highway and he drew this conclusion. He said two are better than one. So let's unpack this. Let's unpack this. He says, there is one alone without a companion. Solomon thought of a man alone without family or close friends. This is what he thought. We are called to do life together. And, and, and I think this is, he's going, listen, do you, do you value family? And do you value your friends? How important is, is it for us in the body of Christ? How important is it for us to consider the importance of, of our family here at church? How important? And to value people and to value doing things together. In the church of Jesus Christ, sometimes we, we have it a little bit wrong, church. You see, we have a group of people that come and they meet in a building and they expect the pastor to do all of the work. Pastor, you should be at the hospital, you should do this, you should do this, you should do this. All the pastors, hey, we're putting money in the box, you should do this. But that's not how God created us. God says, no, 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 here's the value of doing life together because I can't do it all and he's equipped all y'all to go and help and, 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 and reach this world for God. That's what Paul writes in Ephesians. He says, for the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry. But we sit back and go, no, pastor will do it. Pastor will do it. Oh, he'll go to the hospital. That's why, that's why he's full-time. He goes to the hospital. He does this. No, no, no. This is, this is the beauty of, of what he's saying. He says, listen, you and I, can, we can do things together and we can accomplish more. This is the Word of God. And then this person going, okay, listen, I don't, I'm going to be a lone ranger. I'm going to be a lone ranger. He asks the question. He says, well, for whom do I toil and deprive my, myself of good? He says, man, this is vanity and grave misfortune. Solomon thought that this unexamined life of hard work and success without family and friends to share it all. It's like, guys, let me illustrate it like this. How important is it for us to do life together? To be a community of believers that do life, that do things that encourage people, to help encourage each other, to lift each other up when times are down. We don't get that. In our minds, we think, oh man, brother, brother Larry's got it all together, man. He's got a cool looking haircut. He's got it. He doesn't need me, but brother Larry could be crumbling on the inside and we need to be encouraging each other. We have to, hey, how you doing? Now let's be careful that we don't just go through the formality. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing great, bro. How are you? Doing great. And then we leave it alone. But inside I'm going, no, are you kidding me? I'm really, I'm really not good. And I could use a friend just to listen. I didn't know that. We're good at just spouting off. Let, 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 me, let me test you real quick. 30 seconds, test you, okay? 
you walk in, you know what you want to buy, you walk into a department store, the salesman comes up to you and says, how can I help you? What do you say? Come on, out loud. I'm just looking, right? That, that's exactly what You're trained. You know what you want. Someone comes in, how can I help you? Just looking. I, why are we so guarded? And then he says, and then it's their job to overcome objectives. And so they say, so what are you looking for? And then you kind of break down and say, okay, well, I want, you know, that sort of thing. But, but here's the point. Here's the point. When you go to a brother or sister and you really, you've got a concern in your heart. You say, hey, man, how are you doing? How are you? I'm doing great, man. I'm doing good. No, no, no. How are you really doing? No, I'm doing good, bro. No, let, let me, let me, let me say. How are you really doing? Don't lie to me. Oh, I'm not doing good, man. You okay in your marriage? You getting along with your wife? How are the kids? Oh, you saw that on my face? No, bro, but, but I just know. Now, listen, if you're doing good, hey, I'm, no, bro, for real, I'm doing good. Thank you, Jesus. Me and my wife are getting along. We're just, we're loving God. We're glorifying God. Thank you for asking, though. So be careful not to assume. But we need to encourage. Think about this. Let me put this in your mind. We all watch Charlie Brown. Do you guys remember Charlie Brown trying to kick the football? Do you remember that? And every time Lucy pulls it away, would Charlie be better off without having Lucy as a friend? Or is life better when we choose to live life in relationship with others? See, Charlie Brown is learning a life lesson in trusting others. And yes, he's also learning about forgiving Lucy too. You go pastor the point? From the great theologian Charlie Brown, it's better to do life together because God has brought us together. together. So Solomon says, okay, this is what I saw. Let's, let's, let's talk about the highway. Look, he's going he's gonna to reiterate. And I wonder if he actually went to the highway to examine. But look at verse 9. He says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one would lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him. Here's what I want you to write down. If you're not afraid to write in your Bible, write this down. And, and I've said it five, six, seven, eight hundred times. We're called to do life together, but here's what I want you to say. We need each other. We need each other. And Solomon reminds us, the world is evil. It's broken. Don't do life alone. We have pride. Oh, I'm good. I'm strong. I'm thick-skinned. I can do it. No, 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 no. Listen. Here's what he says. Listen, I need you. You need me. Two are better than one. It's a good partnership. Two can accomplish more than one individually. And the sum will be greater than the parts. Put on your thinking caps, guys. You go, what do you mean? God created the church. One body, many, 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 many parts, but one body. We're joined together by the Holy Spirit, and as we're joined together, we can accomplish more for Him. I find it so interesting that we need to focus in on people's Strengths, not so much their weaknesses. 
One commentator put it like this, when two work and live together, they can help each other in difficult times. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. The preacher understood that everybody needs help, and it is a blessing to both to give and to receive help. Did you catch that? It's a blessing not only to receive help. Now, you and I, we're not good at asking for help. We're not good at it. But it's a blessing to receive help when we need it, but it's also a blessing to give help when somebody needs it. Man, think about this. Think about this. This is what he's saying. Now, he's, he, he's, not, he's not necessarily talking... Now, again, think about this. this these are, these are the, the wedding verses, if you will. Why? These are the coffee cup verses. Look at verse 11 with me in your Bibles. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? The one may be overpowered by another. Two can withstand him. And here's what we use. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. So we take that part of the verse and says, Oh, okay, well, this is our wedding verse. A three-folded cord, of course, God has to be at the center of them. But, but, but notice what he says. He says he's talking about doing life together. He's talking about walking. And that's the whole point of church. That's the whole point of being involved in church. That you can do life and you can... And, and, and so, listen, if somebody gets sick, man, we have a meal train and we have people visiting them at the hospital and we just we have all of this going on and people at the hospital going, my goodness, is this your family? And you go, absolutely well, you've had 30 people in the church come and see you. Absolutely. This is how we're supposed to do. Why? Because God didn't call us to do life alone. He didn't call us to be a Lone Ranger Christian. See, in these four verses, guys, it shows us the great value of human relationships. Living and working together is a great advantage to living and working alone. And he adds to these four things. What are they? Think about this. Productivity. They have a good reward for their labor. Help in need. If they fall, someone can lift up his companion. Comfort in life. They'll keep warm. Safety and security. Two can withstand. So now we come to the end of the chapter. And it's almost if like Solomon says, okay, I'm going to tell you a story. I've come to verse 12. But I'm going to tell you, now, he's going to tell us a story that teaches two truths as we, as we get ready to land this plane. You ready? He's going to talk about the instability of the government, right, in the palace. He's going to go, man, it's even happening here. And then he's going to give us the fickleness of popularity in these last verses. Let's look at verses 13 through 16. It says, Better is a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who will be admonished no more. Now, what I want you to see is you know that Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs because now he's actually writing verses 13 through 16 like a proverb. He's going to say, better is this. For he comes out of prison to be king, although he was born poor in his kingdom. I saw all the living who walk under the sun. They were with the second youth who stands in his place. There was no end to all the people over whom he was made king. Yet those who come afterward will not rejoice in him. Surely this is vanity and grasping for the wind. You go, Ben, what did he say? Well, he says, it's better to be poor but wise youth than an old and foolish king who refuses all advice. Solomon brings this section with a proverb observing that it's better to be poor and wise and young 
than to be old, foolish, and have great wealth and status. Why? Because such a youth could rise from poverty and succeed. He might even become king. And it says, though he has been in prison. But then everyone rushes to the side of yet another youth who replaces him. Endless crowds stand around him. But then another generation grows up and rejects him too. And so Solomon says, listen, even that is meaningless. Meaningless. You go, Pastor, what's the point? Here's the point. You ready? We're closing. We're landing this plane. We're called to be a community of believers that love and encourage and lift up. And, and, what, and what our vision at Calvary Chapel is, is loving people back to life. Loving people, getting them to the place where, where they're walking with Jesus strong again. Okay? But let me give you four things that will kill community very quickly. Four things really fast. You go, what is it? Number one, envy and jealousy. Envy and jealousy. How so? Well, verse 4. Look at verse 4. Jealousy will always derail your chances for deep fellowship. Listen, if you're jealous of your brother, you envy your brother, there's no way that you can have true community. There's no way you can be real and honest. You're always being jealous. Well, I can't believe he had that. And we do this in ministry and we do this in life. Well, I can't believe he has that and I wish I had that and and, and, and remember, jealousy is a little bit different. Well, I, I, I just don't want what he, I, I want what he has. But you know what envy does? Envy says, it takes it a little bit further. It says, I want what he has and I wish he didn't have it. That will kill community. And we have to check our hearts. And now, now listen, listen. Let's do it. Let's do a deep, do a deep heart check. Can we do a deep heart check? I wonder, and I'm not going to say this, I wonder if there was ever a time in our lives when we rooted for somebody to fail secretly because of that. Whatever position it might be in, you might have went, hmm, I just, he's going to fall on his face when he does. <laughs> that position will be mine or whatever. And we secretly root, and that will kill community. That's number one. Jealousy and envy. Let me give you number two. Number two is found in verse five. It's laziness. Laziness. How so? Lazy people never know true community. Because the Bible said the man who ends up folding his arms ends up destroying himself. So when you're lazy, you're not going to take those steps to get to know somebody. You're not going to have true community because nah, you don't care. You don't care. Hey, you want to go hang out? No? Uh -huh. Yeah, but... And, and as we say, that'll kill community and true relationships in the body of Christ. So let's not be lazy. Number three? Number three? Dissatisfaction. Dissatisfaction. Why? If we are always looking at the future of what we have to do, we're never in the present. If we're always, oh, I got, I've got to be here, I've got to do this, I've got to do this, you forget that you're right here in the present with people. Let me explain it this way. When the pastor looks out and he sees more empty chairs than he sees people and he wonders where the people are, he forgets the people that are here. 
He's not in the moment. Well, what do I need to do? What do we need? How do we market this? Oh, man, I want every chair. And he's going, no, bro, listen. There's people in front of you that you, you need to be in the moment. And that's how we are when we're dissatisfied with life. Because we're not living in the moment. We're always looking. We're always looking. We're always looking. And then let me give you a bonus one. You ready? Tal, you can come on up. Be careful with overwork. Be careful with overwork, where we're just working too much, and then we just, we're just not here. We're just not here. Amen? Father, we thank you tonight for your word, and we thank you for the truth in your word. We thank you for your gracious love for us. Father, um, it's your word. Solomon is, is saying, and, and I thank you, Lord. I thank you that we can learn and, and apply. Lord, if we're envy or jealous or, or even lazy or we're just dissatisfied, Lord, just, just search our hearts and sort of work it to where we can, we can love you and, and walk with you, Lord. And if we need to confess our sins and ask you to forgive us, we, we'll, we'll pray that prayer. If, if, Lord, we just need to pray that, God, you would reveal this in, into our hearts, God, just to show us, show us. Father, we need your Holy Spirit so much so that we're more like you. And so I pray for a fresh indwelling of your Spirit right now. Lord, as we worship you in this last song, that Lord, your Spirit would just show us. And Lord, that we can be more like you. Our world is broken, Lord, but you've called us for such a time as this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. We'd love to hear from you and see you in person at the church. You can find our contact information, location, and even give a donation at calvarychapellubbock.church. We'll see you next time on the podcast. Until then, may God bless you and your family.